Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now that we've kissed the ring, it's time to meet a stand-up guy. As your two favorite Colombo henchmen, give the LA, give episode six of the Paramount Plus Limited series the offer the once over. This episode, like the last, is directed by Colin Buxy, but with Nikki Toscano flying solo on the script writing duties. Joining me as ever is the Mario Puzo at the donut truck to my Francis Ford Coppola trying to direct Al Pacino, even though he's a little bit nervous. Will Chich, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good yourself. I'm very well, very well. It's been a, it's been a, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a good week. It's been an eventful week. It's uh, I've been doing a lot. I think um, it, it kind of feels like an age age away. We 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 chatted. We, we, well, funnily enough, listeners, we me and Will chat outside of the podcast but they're not going to believe it but we do right we do will <laughs> we do we do um and i i had to message will on saturday because i think as, as a as a fellow father would understand my plight i had um at a moment of rage at a train station when a uh when a signal guard tried to like well he he, he he signaled for the train to lock its doors with my son on the train and me still stood on the platform. And I clung to the side of that train like I was fucking fathers for justice, screaming at a signal guard down the platform saying, you will not let this fucking train leave until I am on it or my son is off of it. So it's been, it's been yeah, it's, it's been an eventful week to say the least. How's your week been? Mine's been pretty chill. They haven't like verbally assaulted any <laughs> train conductors or anything. Nah, mine's been all right. I so, was... but yeah, but I absolutely understand those moments. I have had any. I was there. I was there. Like in my head, I was like, I'm so, I'm so glad those train doors were were stuck and my son couldn't hear because I was going fuck this guy fuck this guy i was i was i was going full joe colombo mixed with a bit of uh, joe colombo a bit of uh i had the joe gallo eyes going on i had a kind of 
Bob Evans induced rage. I had a bit of Charlie Blue Dawn as well. I was ready to grab him and be like, you fuck, you oh, fucking fuck. piece of shit. Don't you ever. <laughs> <laughs> love it, mate. We're, sometimes you've got to have these moments. Mm-hmm. I love it. And um, apart from that, I've, I've been to the cinema um, this week as well, and I saw how boy Miles Teller in Top Gun Maverick. Oh, oh boy. I know, I know this is probably, seen it. This is old hat for, for people listening. They're probably thinking, fucking hell, you two, you two are stuck in the dark ages, but I've finally seen it, and yeah. it's good. It's it's real good. Miles Teller as well. Yeah. Rocking a yeah, stash. I'm, um, I've been tempted since watching it to... Nice. Cut, cut in a mustache, get rid of the beard, just start rocking a tash. But I I'm not sure if I've got the, the dashing good looks of Miles Teller. Go for it. <laughs> oh, mate, you could pull it off. Go for it. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, how's, how's, how's your week been, Will? Um, yeah, like I said, it's been pretty. I've had a touch of the old, um, bit of the old man flu. Okay. So I've been a, been a bit sorry for myself. but. All right, fine. I'm uh, all right. I've got a bit of well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but um, perk me up a bit. Nice. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about that. It's time to talk some wine. This week, however, we haven't gone for wine, we've gone for oh, a little bit of the bubbly. So, uh yeah, bubbly that can mean can mean many can mean many a thing. Will what what bubbly have you gone for this week? And it is bubbly week. Well, I've gone for a little prosecco rosé. Oh, yeah, I got a prosecco rosé brut. Yeah, ex, extra extra special. Oh. It's actually very nice. Nice. I've gone for a yeah an extra dry prosecco. Uh, it is a vino um, spumante as well, a wine of Italy. So we're keeping it Italian, baby. We got we got we got an Italian wine up in the house. Keeping it Italian, mate. Keep it. Yeah, prosecco rosé. It's got a hint of apple and pear fruit flavors. Delicate touch of strawberries. Oh, lovely! Let's let's let's, so, yeah. let's read yeah, what lovely. we've got going on here. Let me get a bit of light on the situation. We have oh, a delicious sparkler with a zesty lemon, pear and apple fruit flavors. Sorry, it's very it's very hard. It's kind of yellow on black here so i'm kind of uh struggling in the dark to read this um oh here we go a hint of sweetness is balanced by a refreshing crisp acidity a real treat for any day of the week i do like that a real treat for any day of the week well i pull behind the curtain it's thursday now but we could it could be saturday for all i know drinking this drinking this delightful wine um so yeah, let's talk about episode six of the offer titled "A Stand Up Guy." But before we do, Will, where did we leave the gang at the end of last week's episode? We were Pacino is back in, Palmine is dead, 
shot in the face. Um, Evans is a man on the edge. Paramount is hanging in the balance, whether they're going to sell it or not. So he's a man on the edge. Um, and Ruddy has, well, he's had a ruddy nightmare. He's um, <laughs> he's bitten off more he can chew with old Joe Colombo. And he's done a, he kind of got Chang Eileen to do a press conference, which he's done. And that's how we finished with him doing the press conference. So how does how does then how does that transpire to this week? How do we open up this week's episode, Will? We bang straight into a sort of montage of people watching the pen, the press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we see uh, Charlie, and then we see our man Bob, all saying the same thing. But <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's where and. Charlie specifically, his his fuck is a great, it's a great fuck. Yeah, I I I guess they probably like looked in the edit to be like, which one are we gonna lead with here? And Charlie's just like, yeah, fuck. Uh, <laughs> and he puts, yeah, yeah. So it's, doesn't he put like a he puts a golf club through the TV as well? Doesn't yeah, he? He, he he does a proper, and then smashes the telly. <laughs> Lovely stuff. And then Bob Evans is a bit more of a subdued, like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then and, then we, and then we have Ruddy then. Yeah. Really. Who does, and also, also has a, oh, fuck. And so, then, yeah. Then we're straight into like the aftermath of every, all of the events, aren't we? Like, uh, Betty kind of, even she seems pissed off with Al for what he's doing. Because obviously, he's not, he's not just playing with his life now he's playing with everyone's lives and livelihoods by doing that right yeah so yeah so we have that like almost like a montage and like you say we're straight into the repercussions of this then of what can happen because obviously it's a a massive thing to be showing that he's publicly mm-hmm. if in cahoots with the uh with the with the mafia basically so what, yeah what is the kind of main drive of this episode because we kind of i, I think we we're both slightly luke well we're like we found last week's one to be like quite lukewarm on it somewhat H- how are we feeling with this episode and like kind of like the overall thrust of it before we kind of get into the nitty gritties of stuff yeah i thought we were a bit more back on familiar territory with the where as soon as we we were straight into those fast cut scenes with and we'll get into it but there was a few people back and there's a few scenes where people are absolutely on form yeah it just felt i think we we both said that the last episode did feel a lot like a filler episode uh-huh. not a filler episode but let's get some shit out of the way and get it out there so we can move on and it transpires that's exactly what we're doing this episode we're back into what we it's fair to say it's back to what we we like about the show well yeah so see the plot lines we have is it's we have the whole like paramount deal of whether they're going to sell right in this episode we yeah. have uh francis trying to push forward on day one of shooting we have al ruddy kind of figuring out what is going to become of him Within the para within Paramount, and then we kind of have the mob still trying to figure out a little a little pimple on their ass that is Joe Gallo, right? They're the kind of Gallo, yeah. 
they're the kind of three storylines we have, well, four storylines we have kind of going on simultaneously. But um, yeah, we get like we we jump from the kind of aftermath, and we kind of see that with Barry reading the news headlines to Charlie Wright, kind of saying like the stocks dropping for Paramount. And then the head of PR comes in and this poor fucker yeah. is like, I think he even says like, uh, it happened two hours ago. Cause Charlie's just like, you're fired motherfucker. Yeah. Fires him and straight away. He, yeah. Literally. He says, oh yeah. Um, but uh, so he said, why have we not done this? Why is this not sorry that you're the head of PR? He said, well, it only happened not long ago. <laughs> fired. And that's it. <laughs> Go on. Goodbye. End of. And then, um, our man Hanks, Barry, says, um, yeah, oh, you can't really fire him. And he basically says, I can do what the fuck I like. Mm. And then, yeah, he ends up he ends up throwing his, like, paramount paperweight across the room as well, like, as a real, a, a, a real yeah. show of, like, kind of, I fucking had it with this asset that I own, right? He's like, I'm kind of, I'm done. I'm done yeah, with. He, he's a man on it. I think that that's the, the, a lot of the thrust of this episode as well is his, a lot of them are people on the edge now. Mm-hmm. There's all it's boiling over. So you've got in this scene when um, he has his tantrum and throws his parmo thing, then Barry has to say to him, "Who's going to tell if this, if we're selling?" If it, he literally says, "I want it off my books by the end of today." Parmo needs to fuck off, and um, yeah, Barry says, "Who who's going to?" How are we going to break it to uh, Bob Evans? What does he say? <laughs> oh, that 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 oily fuck is someone else's problem now. <laughs> so yeah, which is a lovely bit of stuff. There's a few absolute <laughs> belted lines in this episode. In fairness, but yeah, that oily fuck is someone else's problem now. Well, yeah, the, the, we 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 get that scene uh, next of Bob Evans kind of, and we see like him very much putting his work in front of his marriage right because he's supposed yeah. to be flying out to texas to start shooting the getaway with steve mcqueen <laughs> as, as ali mccraw's there letting us know right she's like what about texas what about the getaway what about the dinner with steve mcqueen steve mcqueen's family yeah that so yeah <laughs> another one of those name drops but yeah so he's they're supposed to be flying there then and there but not Bob. He's got shit to do. I love, I love this line that uh, this exchange between him and Ali McGraw. You have people that work for you who can deal with this, honey. I'm the head of the goddamn studio. I have the fucking people that deal with this. <laughs> I have the fucking it's people that deal line. with this. I love it. I love it. It's like yeah. just the whole like lead up to that as well, where he's like he's there kind of talking out loud what he's going to do. He's like, it's going to be a fucking shit show. <laughs> I either have to go there, I either have to back up Al, or if Al's been fired, I have to take over the fucking picture. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fucking produce the thing myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that kind of, I don't know, like, is this the most proactive we've, do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the time, I think so far, we've seen Bob Evans in reactive mode. Is this the most pre- proactive we've seen him so far? Yeah, I think so. And it, we'll get to it later, but it, we've seen another little side to Bob as well. Like, he is a weapon of a human, but he is, 
he knows now he needs this he needs this shit done. So like this this little speech here when he says he's like, I don't give a fuck, I'm getting this he is getting this done. That's what he needs to do. So yeah. Then we get like it's the first day of shoot, right? And uh one of our one of our favorite the first person we see is our nah. our favorite boy, Mario Puzo, is back back on the scene. <laughs> What's so the, glad to see him. What's he up to though? Having a little treat, isn't he? As he always is, treating <laughs> himself to catering. Yeah, I think. I, I, I think for the first day of shoot, uh, I'm not sure how true. I think, I think there is some truth to this. I think I remember like reading it that yeah, to try and get the crew on side and do a nice gesture. Francis Ford Coppola got a donut truck on on the set, kind of. Ease people in, be like, "Hey, like we're we, we should be having a good time." And there, again, I'm not sure if this is something that actually happened. Like, but the shot they're setting up for is the shot of uh, Michael and Kay coming out of the department store, right on uh, with the Christmas shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, they're setting up that shot because then I think it's. Yeah, we have the moment where we have uh, our boys back together and have a little, hey, Francis, hey, Mario, we're doing it. We're finally doing it, which is mm. a nice little moment between those two because we haven't had one for a, a, in the last episode. Like It's nice to have the team together again, the gang. But then we um, have the moment there with um, Jack straight after well, yeah, we talking have- about... The budget again, a hint of the budget, budgetary issues. Him and Aram are kind of there, going like, it's "Yeah, a, it's a fucking shit show," and they're kind of looking at Al Pacino, being like, "Look at him with all those presents. Like, it makes him even look even smaller. Like, look at yeah. look at this fucking guy." And they're like, "They're they're they're like a fucking Stutter and Wardorf, just kind of like commenting on it all, aren't they?" Kind yeah. of like going like, "Oh, it's gonna go wrong. It's gonna go wrong." Like. Uh, do you really need 100, 140 extras when you could just have a close-up and all this stuff? Yeah, so they... And they're, they're kind of plotting and, like, scheming together. It's like, well, we need to we need to put some doubt in Francis's mind and stuff like yeah, he that. May as well be, he may as well be twiddling his moustache saying, is there, I want to if, if only there was something we could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and the newspaper comes out. But yeah, because Francis is trying to put out the fire because Al Pacino kind of is having... First day nerves, right? Yeah, he's um, he's uh, astronaut actor's nervous. So yeah, he's nervous. He's having a bit of a having a bit of a wobble on his first day. Is Al? So uh, Francis has a chat with him and basically motivates him, tells him, and yeah, Al's going to do it. But yeah, that's a, another nice little moment for Francis. And I, again, I don't know how true, but. He, a nice guy and he just talks to Al motivated to get the scene done while Jack and um Aram are plotting put in the night yeah they they, I like I like that the scene ends with Francis like kind of finding the paper on his chair and we kind of like get this look on Dan Fogler's face as the camera kind of like like zooms in of him like like he realizes that Al Ruddy is in like fucking deep shit for shaking Joe Gallo's hand. Um, and then Ruddy is called into the Gulf and Western offices. What did you What did you make of this scene? Because 
there actually is some truth to this aspect of Al Ruddy that like the stock did drop for Paramount because he was mm. seen like there were photos came out of him and Joe Gallo. And obviously the scene transpires that he's fired, right? And Yeah, yeah. So that actually happened to Al Ruddy, and there is a beautiful quote from him that I've got right here. I think is I think it's said verbatim in the show as well. Um which is uh oh no, I can't fucking find it, can I? Um oh, I'm not interested in what happens to Gulf and Western. I'm interested in getting my movie made. Like that is actually something like that Al Ruddy said to them. That's pretty much, yeah, like you say, Ravine, what is his line to Charlie in the the office before he has a, well, actually said a pastry launch to them as he gives her, (laughs) Charlie in this, Charlie is, has an absolute belter of an episode. Yes. (laughs) Because he has some fucking great moments. This one in particular when he, so, because he says, I've brought you a gift. Just fucking opens it with pastries and just fucking launches at him. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, here's a couple of moments. But this this exchange, yeah, it's a it's a good little scene because we we also I think more so in this episode than we have before, and we'll get to it. But you see that ruthlessness of Charlie and why he probably is. People probably were a bit like fucking don't mess with him. Because he's definitely got an edge. What What do you think this scene tells us about Al Ruddy, like the character and kind of like who he is as a guy? Because obviously he is quite steadfast in like and pig headed, right? Yeah, definitely. And it shows how stubborn, I don't know if stubborn's the right word, but like how focused he is. He was like, he didn't give a shit. He was, he was, in his mind, well, he was just doing what needed to be done mm-hmm. to get his film made. And I mean, he knows he's possibly fucked up, but he's sticking to his guns. And he's like, you're going to have to fire me. If you're going to fire me, fire me. But this is, I'm, I I did what I have to do to get shit done. Well, yeah, because he kind of calls out the whole system as well. He's like, yeah, he, what other film is getting made in New York that like hasn't got the fucking mob like the mob that the mob aren't in yeah they're not in cahoots with the mob on it like he's like I'm yeah. just fucking brazen about it he's like everyone else is kind of doing these back table under the table deals kind of thing like do you know what I mean backroom deals and he's like no I'm I'm doing what needs to be done and obviously like if any film is going to have the spotlight on it from the mob more than any it's going to be a film about the mob right <laughs> Yeah. Um, and what about um, Al Ruddy's parting gift from Charlie's office as he gets fired? What does what, what do he, do he take with him? He takes his cigars. That's a, that's a fucking baller move, right? That's uh, he is baller. Have you ever pockets his cigars? Have you ever done anything like that? When you, have you ever done a baller move when you've left a job? Doesn't have to theft. Doesn't have to be involved. But have you ever like? left in a kind of like done something at the when you've left a job where you're like yeah i feel i feel pretty fucking cool right now um i no, because i don't think i've ever felt cool <laughs> no i can't think of anything at the top of my head because you said 
I, I don't incriminate myself. So, yeah, no, nothing at all. I I, I remember once this this people were pretty thinking oh, you're a fucking idiot for this, but like I felt pretty chuffed for myself once. I left the job and I bought them a sorry for your loss card. Nice. <laughs> And then signed, that is. signed it to signed it to the team, and then like from me, just like there you go. Sorry, because a lot of those cards are quite vague as well. They never say like the person is dead. They're like they've moved on. Yeah, to, they've moved on to better things, and it was very much they've me gone being to like, a better place. Yeah, fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I get smooth. I'll happily tell you what job that was. It's one I worked for. Starbucks. You're perfectly fine then. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, it's not like a nice little, little mom and pop like cafe or something. No. Like that. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a multimedia uh, tax dodging company who are uh, assholes. So uh, Al is then greeted by Betty, again, who's kind of, she's willing to be there as his kind of confidant and shoulder to cry on but like Al's not having any of it is he <laughs> this time no there's a fucking dick to obey in this scene and again I do think we there's a few people in this we see a little other side to them uh-huh. and Al really is a dick to her and um yeah he just says some real shitty things considering she's had his back and she's was it she pretty much helped him get where he was and yeah he's horrible and he uses things that we've heard in previous episodes right when they've been having mm. their kind of heart to hearts about like her her life and like her like her marriage before and stuff like that and what is it he says like Isn't it, go back to go back to nebraska yeah go back to your, and uh, go back to yeah nebraska and um do some carry on with your bacon or something, something along the lines of like basically go back to being a fucking a pretty little housewife life. And it's like, it's a shitty thing to say. And then he has a dig about it being an assistant. You're just a fucking assistant. Yeah. Go get another <laughs> job. Yeah. Go get another fucking job. Is there, I think there's something like sometimes that the, the word fuck can really have a punch. And I think in this scene, it really does when he says, you're just a fucking assistant. It really emphasizes that kind of like guttural punch of like hearing that. And you feel, you feel it. And I think it, it, again, it's it's a testament to Juno Temple's acting. Right. And like, she kind of, yeah, she's great. I mean, she fucking whacks him. Yeah. Of of instant karma. Yeah. Proper slap. But yeah, Juno Temple is just great. I mean, there's there's some great performance in this, but Juno Temple is almost easily the most understated because I mean, the performances are big. Miles Teller not so much, but the rest you've got some big performances here, mm-hmm. like big scene stealer. Like there's some fucking we'll get to, but there's some serious scene chewing going on in a in a lot of these episodes and juno temple not so much she is the the constant throughout it and not under well yeah understated she just and but she is great well she just has this charm right and it's quite yeah. interesting recently uh dexter fletcher was on uh brett goldstein's podcast films to be buried with 
and they're both there obviously have both have this like working relationship with her and it's kind of brett goldstein going oh she's great isn't she like she's she's they're both just great like and he's like he's got oh oh, juno like they're both kind of have this like thing of like and just how like kind of lovely she is to people on set and stuff like that and it's um yeah i think there's another story from our podcast the I can't remember the actress's name but the woman who plays the therapist in um ted lasso, um, ted lasso. yeah, yeah. She, she, her character is supposed to be really good on a bike and he's supposed to kind of just hop on a bike and ride away and i think the the yeah the actor had ne- like never really ridden a bike before and Juno Temple was there on set, like, don't worry, you're gonna smash it, you're gonna smash it. And like, I love to hear stuff like that. And she, she, she's, I don't know, she just lights up the screen, I think, in this whenever she's on. And I think this is an episode where she really gets to shine. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely with her particular, I think that's the key to it. She has got a natural charm and a star quality because, yeah, she did, did something about in tech. Talking about different shows, but in Ted Lasso as well. Every time she's on screen, there's a spark, and she and that definitely happens more and more in this episode as it goes on. She has a few moments, yeah. And I think we've said it before, but I, I love that she's kind of got this. She she in a weird way she's being typecast of just being like this, uh, or that she's doing. She's done these two roles where she's kind of the woman who helps men sort out their fucking shit. Do you know what I mean? She kind of yeah. has the same yeah. role in, in Ted Lasso she, to some degree. She does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she sorted, like, yeah, making Brett, Gold, what's his name? Um, Roy Kent, who is clearly Roy Keane. Roy Kent, be not a rage monster, but could still be a rage monster. But And we've got the same year. She's Al Ruddy's, because he's got, he has the potential to just, go off off piece and really fuck shit up. But she kind of like, she's his, she's Freddy's rudder. She kind of like <laughs> keep, keeps it, oh, fuck it no. She, keep, oh, she oh. keeps him on course. Oh, my. Yes, I love it. I love it. Um, well, the next scene we get is pretty topical because we get Bob Evans on a private jet, which obviously is uh, in the news a lot these days uh, with... Is, yeah. is it is it Kylie Jenner took a uh, private jet that like ride that was seventeen minutes or thirteen yeah, minutes and, or something like that, which is naughty. Yeah, and Taylor Swift has racked up a lot of emails on her private jet. She's number one at the moment. Oh, and they were like, oh yeah, but uh, and then it turns out they were like, oh hang on, she's number one. Out of everyone for emails, she hasn't been on tour or done any shows, <laughs> so she's just yeah, she's had a bit of a meh. She's she, she she's like she's like the anti Greta Thunberg at this point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when you take your private jet to go and pick up some shopping, then you know you have to go. Mm. But I think Bob Evans is is using his private jet for some legit reasons right he's got to get to the set in time he's got, he's to, get got there, to get to the set he's got to get there quickly and, and he's got to be charged up on cocaine uh, uh which... yeah where, where <laughs> he's he's high and high because he is 
banging some coke in the uh, airplane. So I, yeah, I've pulled a clip of this scene just because I think it captures coke energy perfectly. You know what? Whatever that crazy Austrian thinks he wants to do, we're going to stop him. GNW's cratering. You know, he's losing his shit. We're ready, Peter. Love stories made of a ton. If we could just get the Godfather out there. Two hits in a row. We show Charlie. We're back to printing money. Bottom line, baby. Bottom line. That's all he cares about. But if he fires Ruddy and Ballard takes over, it's gonna be a shit store for the picture. I hate that asshole. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'll produce the movie myself. I love it. I love. I love that everything they're saying kind of like relates, but slightly doesn't. They're never answering what the other one's saying. They're just kind of just both making statements. Like I think Peter Bart just at one point kind of mutters under his breath, like "I fucking hate that guy." Like, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. just any thought that's bouncing around in their head is coming out of their mouth. And in that clip, yeah. if you if you could tell, you can hear just a, a distinct like you can hear this sound. Just constantly. The tap, tap, tap. Yeah, yeah, and it was just Bob Evans there on a private jet, just racking up big old slugs of cocaine. <laughs> you could take all the dialogue and know exactly what's going on because you were there. Tap, 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 tap. And that's, that's it. But then just, just, yeah. just the way that he's... <laughs> the, 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 the kind of turns of phrases and just the energy that Matthew Good and like... We say it week in, week out, but Matthew Good is an absolute fucking like showstopper in this show. Just ah, to be able to like, mate. just to be able to capture that cokey energy in that like in that way, it's just like I don't know. Yeah, you could. He is an oily fuck, right? <laughs> Absolutely, that's the best. Like until that, there was, I was trying to think of a way to describe him, and then when he called him that oily fuck in this episode, yeah, that's perfect because he is a. Oily fuck. But I do love him every time he's on screen. Yeah. Of course, of course. He's 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 good he's good value entertainment. Uh oh. Things aren't going good at Gulf and Western though, because there is a emergency board meeting uh called by Murray, who's one of the board members, who's kind mm-hmm. of saying to Barry and Charlie, like, shit is hitting the fan. We kind of need to we need to sell now. The board aren't happy with what is going on. Today's the day. Yes. Today is the day. And then we get um, Joe Gallo with his guys discussing the Joe Gallo situation, right? And kind of, again, like, I gotta go speak to the, I gotta go speak to the commission. I gotta go speak to the commission about, about what's happening with this fucking guy. Um, yeah, if we di- yeah, if we dive straight into a Joe Colombo moment, a mob moment. What did you think of this moment? Because the way that this scene plays out, because obviously there is that that confrontation with Joe Gallo as he leaves, right? Yeah, it's a funny one. I think we have said it before. We've there's a, it just about gets away with this this show, I think. But there are the mob stuff sometimes. Is quite a tonal shift. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it, 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 not that it comes out of nowhere because it's there, but like everything else is so breezy. And, and then we have these, I mean, it's some fucking pretty, again, like we've had the dark stuff. And yeah, but this scene is, it could come out of a, just a mob show. You could see it in 
<laughs> one of the things I love with all these mob scenes, obviously, like we've got Lou Ferrigno a lot of the time. Like he hasn't, he hasn't really said much in the show. Normally, it's like, oh, yeah, I think we've got a goal. Like, but like, oh, you, yeah, just, <laughs> you just see him there looking like concerned most of the time. And I just like, especially because I know that he's playing Lenny Montana, who eventually gets cast as Luca Brazzi. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, just the fact that he is just there all the time when shit's going down. And like, I think it's, it's quite funny about like mob meetings and stuff like that. So even if like, we get in a scene later, like there will just be like the guys, like the the Lenny Montanas, the Caesars, who you'll just be having a conversation with Joe Colombo, and they'll just be watching you. And it's like that's a that's weird, right? Imagine just having a chat well, with a chat with a mate, and, so, and yeah. two of his other mates are watching you. Yeah, no music or anything, just there, just watching, just leaning with a snooker cue or something. Just yeah, it's weird. What is What's ironic about what this show as well is a lot of the story is with the Joe Colombo thing is the the problem, the issue with the golf is they didn't want to be shown as like, stereotypical and just these mafia mobsters. But every scene with the mafias and the mobsters now couldn't be more caricatures from what you expect. What do you think? Like, I think that adds like maybe like an unintentional like humour to it. Yeah, and I guess that's I, what I, they're I, trying to say as well. It's like, what is it like? Uh, we don't want you to like. W- yeah, we want we want to present a a, cl- a cleansed, like clinical version of what the mob is, not like how dirty and actual like gritty it actually is. Well, yeah, there literally have scenes where old Joe Colombo will be saying like. You know, we we can't have this book paint us like these fucking animals and that. And then they'll say, "Oh, no problem." But we're, I don't worry about it. We'll sort it out. <laughs> They're going to do exactly what they. But yeah, it, it does add a, a humour to it because they are stereotypes. Like a million times we said before, they're not trying to be subtle. And I like these mobs to bits. The the hushed whispers in back rooms, and then yeah, all doing his thing. I like it. What do you think of the standoff between him and Joe Gallo? Like. Probably one of the most menacingly I've seen a man smoke a cigarette as well. Like every yeah. kind of puff is like, like kind of, you can like, oh. yeah. everything, every time Joe Gow's on scene on, on, um, in the show, he, he's not, not having a menacing moment. He's fucking like, where the more, um, Giovanni's shoulders disappear, the, the bigger, Gallo's eyes get yeah. so he's disappearing and he's squeezing his eyes out. I think what'll happen is the final showdown will his he'll swallow his own head and his eyes will pop out because it's just fucking massive. And he, I don't think he blinks and he's like bulbous and red as well as he's like this kind yeah. of cherry tomato it, man. I think that is because he's so red and the veins is it is from pushing his eyes out. Yeah, just constantly. It, it's, uh, without seeing it, you can't explain how fucking wide-eyed and crazy he is. I get it because he's crazy Joe, but yeah, it's it's intense. I, I I'll have a look. If not, I will try and see if I can squeeze in a rewatch of the show or just kind of pick out every scene that Joe Gallows in 
and count how many times he blinks within the show. So uh, add that to the IMDb trivia. I feel, I feel like that's the kind of that's the kind of benign shit that people enjoy on the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if this podcast has any legacy towards the offer uh, kind of conversation, it will be the fact that we found out how many times Joe Gallo blinked throughout the whole show. The, the offer drinking game. And that's got to be one of them. Every time he, if you catch him blink, neck it, neck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Neck your whole bottle of Prosecco. (laughs) But obviously, yeah, their confrontation's pretty like, Mm. again, there's some nice callbacks within this episode. We've had that callback with Al Ruddy and Betty with their conversation. And then we kind of get that callback to the first time we're really introduced to Joe Gallo when Carmine and Lenny go to see him and offer him the thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. And he gives he gives Joe Columbo right the thousand dollars. He says, Hey, it's for Carmine's family. And then Joe, like Columbo's not fucking happy about it. Fucking throws it back at him. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is a spicy meatball. <laughs> yeah, it is, because you also see again, it's because he's such a character we we have obviously done your incredible impression of him but like he, he does have his these moments where you realize that joe Columbo, joe Columbo is a threatening intense guy yeah like you have his moments you go oh yeah don't fuck with him yeah because you know I mean? he yeah what's fascinating yeah. about this show is obviously we see like we haven't seen that much like that side of him that much because a lot of the time it's kind of him interacting with Al Ruddy. There's obviously flicks of it. There's that moment he obviously takes Al to the guy tied up in that basement and ends up pissing yeah. himself and stuff like that, which is like, whoa. And then like, yeah, this like that moment with Joe Gallo is like kind of like, I will fucking will kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, you, you can see that these I think this episode does do that really well where we're getting the size of because it's easy to see like we've had it before with uh, Bob Evans where you go well would he have and then he has these moments of being an oily fuck but like you can see what he is a manipulator and you can see why people again this episode but like there's that the Charlie thing now he's losing his fucking mind and he's throwing pastries at people you can see why people would be like Oh fuck! Don't don't fuck! Don't don't go in there right now, or you don't want to speak to him today. Yeah, you can that, see why. That's the scene we yeah. get right next. Right is mm. is Becky oh, yeah, course, trying yeah. to go see him, and then like he kind of looks at her as if to be like, "Fucking not no. today, Betty. Like not right now." Because um, yeah. they're yeah they're 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 talking about potential buyers, and Barry's like saying, "Well, we had some before this news came out, and a lot of people have pulled out, apart from a." Texan oil guy, a man with yeah, a guy with some like Texan oil money, and he's like, "You will set up a lunch immediately, Barry. We will speak to him immediately. (laughs) Get me Texas now." Um, and then we're back to the film set. That's what I like about this episode. We're kind of bouncing around between all the storylines, and it's like, I don't know, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, um, and we get the scene between uh. Ruddy turning up to set as they've just wrapped that first scene and he tells Francis he's been fired. But it's obviously a bit of a bit of 
that's not, he's got an ulterior motive for being there, right? What has he also come to tell Francis about uh, when he's come to see him about when he's telling him to be that he's been fired? Well, yeah, so he, but he, um, yeah, he gets to the set. I was just trying to, because yeah, he gets to the set to tell him he's been fired, but he also, um, gives him a little bit of sage advice as he leaves and says that, um, Jack's out for blood. Mm. He's gonna, he's, he's after something. He's gonna start cutting shit down. And again, it's back to this budgetary thing and, well, he, yeah, wa- he so wants he to run wa- his job, right? He kind of wants yeah. to run his job and to be able to, like... He wants to get in there, cut back, you know, do his thing. And uh, Ruddy gives him a little, Francis, a little heads up. Yeah, and I kind of like the kind of franticness of Francis kind of rushing about the set. And he's like, oh, Jack, like, we're, 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 we're like ahead of schedule. Like, we're doing good. And he kind of whispers to somebody like... Minute we can find a phone, like let me know. I'm fucking caught. caught. We're calling Charlie Blue Dawn. Get me to the next thing. Get me to the next set. We need a phone. And I loved him because Puzo comes along and doesn't he say, Mario, something wicked this way comes? Yeah. Absolutely lovely stuff. Yeah. Mario comes with another donut in his hand. He's like, hey, where's Al going? Like, where's Al going? (laughs) Something. Something this wicked this week comes. I love it. <laughs> what an amazing, what an amazing turn of phrase. Um, and again, like we jump right back to another mob scene, which is again, I think, I think this one's quite, quite, quite mm-hmm. a great scene between Joe and Caesar. What did you make of this scene? Like, what, what are they kind of discussing over this antipasty and wine? Yeah, there's a discussion of them. They've obviously known each other a long time. It's clear what Joe Colombo's from the moment they meet. You're clear what Joe's up to. He's basically suggesting that Caesar may, if you want to be a real man, do you want to be a real man? Do you want to, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to step up a bit? Like obviously, yeah, Carmine's gone. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, they have a they have a conversation. It's quite, it's, yeah, it's quite. It's again. It's a proper mob scene. From you, a, it could be from a mob film because they talk about family and we grew up together. And did you pick up on the thing that Caesar seemed quite like hesitant and like seemed quite threatened by Joe? Like, so he turns up and it's just yeah, just the two of them in the restaurant. Is he's like it's kind of like a thing of like he's there like, am I going to be whacked? Like, what's what's happening here? And he's like, well, yeah, that's was. It's almost like a reference to whether, like, you know, the, the mob films where, because he does say, he says, because, yeah, straight away he says, it's just the two of us. And Joe Colombo says, just sit down, have some wine. But yeah, you could definitely got the sense it was like, you know, if you turn up and there's not many people around, you're going to get whacked. Yeah. Heshy style, you know, a made man. Yeah, you yeah. know, that scene in Goodfellas. Yeah, it is Goodfellas. Yeah, Goodfellas. So when the, it, it's a callback to that kind of stuff. But again, I think it's a hint at, even though obviously um, Caesar knows Joe Colombo from way back, and that there's still an element of he's a dangerous guy. And I guess it is just like that, like highlighting that aspect of that lifestyle where it is, it doesn't matter how deep you are in with these people. Business is business, and if something's not good for business, it's got to go. And like, like you say, we see it in like these kind of mob movies and stuff like that, and. 
like Joe Colombo really breaks the tension where he's like, Hey, I fucking see you smash a hoagie all the time. He's like, you, you're going to eat some antipasti. Like, you're going to eat, yeah. eat some olives and some, some meats here. And he's like, yeah. And as you said, he kind of says to him, like, it's your chance to kind of step up to maybe be like almost take over from where Carmine left off, like kind of thing. Yeah, and he, he just says, are you, are you ready? And then we're left with, so he's saying, I'm ready. And you know, they, he's basically got a promotion, right? Yeah, he's been. <laughs> uh, speaking speaking of like mob shows, the next scene we get is the 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 um the the lunch with Andy Calhoun, the Texas oil tycoon, um, who's played by Michael Gandalfini, the yeah. late, great James yeah. Gandolfini's son. Yeah, a little definitely, oh, clearly, uh, you know, an intentional nod to stuff because it's the son of one of the most famous mobsters on telly ever. Yeah. So, yeah. And, of course, he's played him in um, the film, Many States of New York. So, yeah. And it is a one scene. I assume it's a one-and-done scene. But, yeah. What did you think of his, like, what did you think of this scene and Michael Gandalfini's, like, um, a character? And like, cause I, I quite thinking- liked it because it, it was, again, we saw Charlie and Barry doing his, you know, his most. Well, Charlie being not not Evan Schmoozy, but you know, doing his thing, and he clearly, when um, Michael Galdafini's character just calls his calls him out straight away, and it's like, "Don't bullshit me," you know, this is what's happening. I'm not stupid. I've seen the papers. And you could see there's a look on that on Charlie's face. Barry almost gives a smug look of. But you could there's a moment of Charlie going. Yeah, I love, I love the interplay before he turns up as well between Charlie and Barry. Where he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you better order a fucking steak, Barry. It's like Texans do not play with fish, and like Barry kind of calls him out, and he's like, yeah, but caviar's fish, like. It's not it, it 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 is fish, but it's a fucking delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, there's that again we have that element of just sh- again showing that Charlie doesn't fucking Barry's a dick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, everyone just fucking thinks Barry's a dick. But that's what Barry does. There's always a te- everyone Barry's talks to there's a tension with him where you can see there's a look in their face to really just want to fucking your arsehole what i find interesting about this scene as well is it really like puts charlie on the back foot because obviously you've got somebody here who's like i'll pay you 50 like i'll give you my first and final off here i'll give you 50 percent of your asking price and that's it and it is like like the color like you said the color runs from his face of almost like yeah yeah there's that moment where it's the, it. it's one of the only times we see Charlie like yeah a bit not broken but the way you can see he's a man on the and also he's fucked yeah because he and he knows it there's a look on his face of oh, shit this is not going away this is a thing and everyone knows about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I like it. Yeah, I, th- I think Michael Gandolfini does an amazing job in this. Where we go from, 
we go from one deal to another. This time it's Betty McCart going to meet Joe Colombo at his hangout, I guess. Like a little pool hall. Yeah, they, they all hang about pool hall. And um, she's turned away, but then Caesar happens to come out the door and spots her and gets her in. And um, she's there to tell Joe Colombo that Ruddy has been fired. And um, yeah. Despite this is where we get the titular line as well, where Joe Colombo says, "He's a stand-up guy." He's a stand-up guy. And uh, Betty obviously puts him in his place and says, "Well, the suits at Golf and Western don't really see it that way, uh, Joe. Like they, yeah. they they see him as uh, fraternizing with the fucking mob." <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. What did, you, what did you make of this scene, Will? Yeah, good. Again, it's it's Julia Talbot just being great, and it's a it's a nice little interplay with them where she it's quite she plays it really well because she's clearly nervous about being there, but also is still doing her thing where she is standing her ground and not letting them know that she's clearly nervous, as you would be anyone would be, let alone. At that time, a woman when they she's literally been told there's no women allowed yeah. just before she goes in, and then Joe Colombo says, "I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen a if weird, I never seen a broad in you before." Yeah, you, and got, that, you got some real yeah. fucking stones coming in here. Yeah, like, but again, but not, she does. I think what this show does is it like they they just have these great little kind of cap off lines to scenes that like. It is that thing is kind of like on the nose and kind of, and especially in regards to like, as we said throughout the show, and I think, it, I think it is vital and great that this show has shone a spotlight on the kind of females that were involved in this kind of process of making this film. And she says, I'm not here to make history. I'm here for Ruddy. Hmm. And I really like that. And it's kind of like, <laughs> without even knowing it like betty mccart's involvement like i, I imagine i don't I, I like to think that that is true that like al ruddy like kind of maybe has now shone a spotlight on kind of how instrumental betty mccart was to the making of this film yeah and look for a show that like we discussed is not the most subtle and it is on the nose that's the one thing they do really well and not is Betty McCart's involvement and those like in a different show I think possibly her going that that line of I'm not here to make history I'm here for ready I think possibly in a different show it would have been made more of that she was a woman who had gone in there but it's not it's just it's the one thing that is done quite subtly mm. where her involvement is it's not thrown in your face but you're fully aware from Julia Terrell's performance and her character that she is strong and she's a big part of getting ready the job, the Godfather working. But yeah, I like, I did like this scene. I think again, it's because Julia Temple plays everything so well. Well, she, she, I think she's really great in this in like, uh, yeah, it feels like, I don't know, yeah, like, it feels like unintentional, I, I don't know. But obviously, each episode we tend to do, like, a bit of a deep dive into an actor. Um, 
And it kind of feels like this is the episode. And I think this is the episode where Juno Temple really gets to shine. She gets a few scenes in here. She gets conversations with different people and moments to kind of really like. And it's it's interesting that the episode's called A Stand-Up Guy as well. And it's yeah. like, it's like, well, it's not really a stand-up guy. It's a, do you know what I mean? It's the stand-up guy in all of this is Betty. Some, I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess each character kind of gets their moment to stand up as it were to, to, yeah. to, to get up on their soapbox and have their moment. But it feels more, more so than anyone. Like Al doesn't, I don't know. He only gets that scene where he stands up for himself with Charlie. You get the scene with yeah Betty a couple of times. You get, you, you get a scene that's coming up with old, uh, Big Bobby, Big Bobby E, which uh, yeah. we, we 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 will talk about, I'm sure, in uh, great detail. But before we get there, we get um, them setting up that, well, they're, they're, them discussing the shot of Enzo and Michael on the steps. Like, I'm not sure how you felt about this. This is when it, like, really hit my kind of film nerd, like, funny bone. I was like, oh, yeah. It's just yes. seeing those stairs. And, and I, I like it. It's kind of, it's it's on the nose, but it's like, and I think they handle the kind of this stuff about making the film. It, they don't try and recreate anything. They just kind of go, here's, here's the location kind of thing. Let's talk about it. Yeah, this, to- yeah I think that's it. A, this bit, there's a few bits, but this bit is definitely a nod for your Godfather fans and stuff. That, and it is the kind of stuff we've, what most of us have been waiting for is like these bits where you go, oh, here we go. And it, it really, I don't know if they, it, that, but it's, it's the nice stuff we want to see from knowing the Godfather that make it. And yeah, even like that scene earlier with Al Pacino when he was a little bit nervous, it's clearly we're establishing that shot and we all know that shot. And it's, it's a nice little thing for, yeah, nerds. Yeah, because I'm got, fine with it. You got Francis yeah. kind of going through, going like, so that 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 they'll stand on the steps. I think they're he's like talking through the scene. He's like, and then we'll shoot the shot of McCluskey coming. He breaks Michael's jaw, and then Tom Hagen's car comes up, and I'm like, oh yeah. And it this yeah, is the kind of shit that makes you want to watch The Godfather again, right? You're like, oh yeah, what? yeah exactly. Yeah, he, he fully he, he Francis describes the scene. And because we know the Godfather now, and we're seeing the play, we can we can play the scene out in our head, and we're going, oh, yeah, oh, that's a good scene. So yeah, and I'm sure this will happen more and more throughout. But yes, what, it's the stuff I want. One of the things I love about their moments in the hospital in the Godfather, just a brief tangent, is. You know, there's the moments of the empty corridors and they, like, you kind of hear the footsteps. They found that stuff in the edit because they're like, oh, we need to build some tension here. And all of those shots of empty corridors were when they had like been filming a scene of like Michael walking through the corridors. And then obviously like once Al Pacino was out of shot, the camera would just keep rolling for like 10 seconds or whatever before they like, before they... I don't know, shouted cut or whatever. So they just pepper those in throughout that scene, but just make, just builds that tension. Cause that is like, that is like a, that's like an Alfred Hitchcock 
film in that scene, right? That kind of tension building oh, yeah, up yeah. of like the Don needs to be moved, like who's coming, and then like obviously it's broken when it's Enzo, and then that scene of them on the steps. I remember seeing it in the cinema, and it is kind of like nail biting stuff. It's funny because, like I said, Tanya, but it's funny watching The Godfather again because, like we said last week, I watched it recently and I hadn't seen it for a while. I'd forgotten how, although it is a long film, there's some proper tense stuff in it and I'd forgotten that stuff. Like you said, that that hospital scene is Hitchcockian in the, the, the way the footsteps are and the long shots of, the, the long shots of empty corridors and things and that build-up. I'd forgotten how tense it is. And the... the the gun. I mean, yeah, you've forgotten what a tense film some of those bits are. So, like, and it's nice to see this happening where we're seeing how some, like, I'm sure they'll do it. As, as we know, this is not a subtle show. So we are going to see those big key scenes being set up. And, yeah, I like it. What scenes do you, would you would you, like, want to see kind of set up or kind of referenced in this show? Well, I would imagine we're definitely we're going to have Big Brando back soon, aren't we? I would imagine in the next episode because spoilers for this episode. We're, there's we have a Brando light episode. We got no Brando. No Brando, yeah, yeah, yeah. No Brando this episode. So I'm I'm thinking next episode we're going to have some Brando stuff. I would imagine we're going to have the you know we're going to his first scenes in the when the wedding's happening, we'll have a bit of Brando. I think we'll have those, the iconic stuff. We'll probably have the, the um, orchard scene as Brando's. There'll be, yeah, we've had the hospital scene. I think we won't get any more of that because that, but I think we'll have, if we don't have the full, the filming of the scenes, we'll have what we just had, like a breakdown of the scene. So we know exactly where we are. I like, I I know one scene that is kind of like, vital in the making of it especially with the kind of story they're telling of the kind of studio battle and like in real life in the first week they were like really unsure of francis and whether they were going to fire him and then francis knew they wouldn't fire him during the week because they would do it on a friday because then they could have somebody in prepped and ready for the monday so what he did in that first week is he scheduled, he, he pulled it forward in the schedule. He pulled the Michael um, Salozzo and McCluskey dinner table scene to the first week of shooting. So I think, I, like, I'm hoping we get like some allusions to that scene and the drama that surrounded that scene. Do you know what I mean? And kind of, I would think, as the way the show is, I would think we definitely will, because we also, even as the viewer, we know, but as viewer, we're still yet to see Pacino Pacino it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because we're going to have to have a moment in this show at some point where even us as the audience, oh, we fully know that Pacino's amazing in it. We have to believe that he's going to become Pacino, because... As of yet, all we've seen him is do his starving and his this see what he's in this episode. The only bit we've seen of is how nervous he is. And now, so I think we're going to have an episode where we're going to have a big build up to that scene in question. So even as an audience and the viewers go, "Oh fucking hell, you there he is!" I think what? that's what we're 
I would imagine. I think that is like it was. I think they were even even while shooting, like they've kind of alluded to in this episode. But like in real life, they were unsure on Francis and Al still when they had started shooting the film, and they were probably thinking, "Well, we're a yeah. weekend, we could reshoot some stuff. We could cut Al up, and he wanted to showcase what he could do, like Francis, the director, yeah. and showcase." what Al Pacino could do because he knows kind of how powerful this scene is and like yeah so I uh, yeah I wouldn't be surprised if we have I'm gonna I haven't watched it I'm watching it week by week I wouldn't be surprised if we have that scene and we have a montage of people watching that scene and cutaways to people as that scene is playing out cutaways to their faces going wow I wouldn't be surprised if a single tear rolls down someone's eye. Are we going to get a? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to get a? Are we going to get any stuff in Sicily? Do you reckon? I. Yeah, possibly because we're gonna. You, you have to have that, wouldn't you? Because it is such an integral part of the Godfather. So I would imagine. Yeah, I don't know how he'll work into this. Maybe they'll just go, we got to get to Sicily. And then they'll all fly off in a plane. I don't know. And be there within 10 seconds. But I don't don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think we we probably will. But or we'll have a conversation about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, ah, Sicily was great, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Fuso Fuso will come back with a town and a new pastry. I loved Sicily, the food. Yeah, but yeah. Amazing, amazing. Well, we get a scene. We've been talking a lot in this episode about Charlie losing his shit, and I, I think this moment shows it more than anything. We should take it. In this climate, the faster we can sell Paramount, the better. I know it's not what we were looking for, but... Big fucking warden will Fuck! You never show your hand, you desperate fucking idiot. You never... Let them know what we're thinking. And that leads me on to something. Something I've kind of like, I think in this episode more than others, is I really noticed the score in this episode. And it's something we haven't really touched on, like throughout our discussions. We're six episodes in and we haven't talked about the score. But the score for this show, I think is fucking great. Yeah, is it funny you should say it because I noticed it. I can't remember which scene it was. It, it may have been a scene we've already talked about where I noticed it. I don't know why, but in this episode particularly, I noticed it was like, oh, fuck yeah. It, I can't remember it was quite percussive. I can't remember the, episode, the, the, the scene, but yeah, we haven't. And it's a great score. Great opening titles as well. We haven't yeah. mentioned that, I don't think. It's great um, opening titles. Yeah, good. <laughs> Yeah. I, lo- I love it and the, yeah it's kind of got this kind of like upbeat like kind of like stuff at times and like kind of a bit like yeah. a bit pumping a bit of funky bass line and well, stuff like it, that it, it almost is like we've said before the the score does it's this essentially some of these episodes are like capers uh-huh you know like so they they do have that 60s oceans 11 vibe of that you know, because we are flying about the place and, you know, there's a lot of, we got to get the script to the thing. We've got to get that. So it, it is a, it is a caper vibe and the score does, 
yeah, the score does go along with that because, like you say, there is that. But yeah, so, yeah, I think it, I think that's the thing with this show. It's set like a like a yeah. It's easy like an Ocean's Eleven caper sometimes. That kind of and that style because this episode's the same. We're battering through things, and the score has to be quite because we do we can fly around again yeah. between scenes. Because we fly from that, from Joe Colombo calling Al Ruddy on the phone, telling him that, like, oh, if he's off the picture, then, like, he's going to pull the plug on um, on the film. Um, oh, so, the, yeah, I just wanted to quickly shout out as well. So the score for the show is done by Isabella Summers. And, like, she's killed, she's killed it on the score, right? She's kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Um. Joe's gonna pull the plug if Al Ruddy's not involved, and then we go straight to Bob Evans turning up to the Paramount offices whilst they're having a board meeting. Oh yeah, Golf and Western offices when they're having a board meeting. And I'm gonna play this in its entirety because Bob Evans delivers this speech. Sorry, it was, uh, it was locked. Oh, this is outrageous. You can't just Evans. storm it. Got something to say? Yeah. I do, Charlie, yeah. Sit down, Murray. Thank you, Barry. Hello, everyone. I'm Robert Evans, Senior Vice President of Paramount Pictures. Now, look, last few years have been rough for Hollywood. I'm sure the only question on your minds is, should you sell short or go long? And I understand that. I do. You're a Fortune 500 company. You're worried about your reputation. But take a look around this table. You politicians, innovators, captains of industry, none of you is sitting here because you played it safe. And you all know in some ways that the most important tool to help you in your pursuits is loyalty. I mean, you don't want your investors looking for a good time on a park bench. No, you want to develop a deep relationship. You want to create trust and love. And you can't do that with empty promises. No, you have to, you have to feed their souls. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's hard. That is hard. Right now, the soul of America is broken. War, assassination, civil rights protests, we're hurting. We're hurting. And people don't trust politics or big business. So what can America look up to? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Excuse me, Charlie. Paramount. Take a look at the logo. We're the mountaintop. We're the goddamn Statue of Liberty because you can give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, and we'll give them two hours of respite from the harsh realities of this world, complete with, with popcorn and Coca-Cola. And we'll do what other people can. We'll, We'll entertain them. We'll get them escape. We'll feed their souls until they're fit to burst. And that's something that you can't quantify by checking the stock of the Daily Ticker. So, sell short or go long. Well, a year ago, the answer might have been obvious. But then came Love Story, which just grossed over a hundred billion dollars and fed the souls of America. And people might say, you know, Evans, you only get lucky once. At Paramount, we make our own luck. Love Story was the second biggest selling book of the decade, beaten by only one other. 
And let me tell you, gentlemen, you do not throw in the towel. You do not throw in the towel when your fighter is about to land the second part of a one-two combination. And that right cross, which is going to bring us to championship, could bring Paramount right back to its glory. Well, that's the biggest silly book of all time. It's the Godfather, and it's ours. It's ours. We can feed their souls because we know what people want more than sugar or auto parts or whatever else Gulf Western does. They want, they want stories, Charlie. They want escape. They want love. And they want guns, romance, and violence. Love story and the Godfather. Is that it, Evans? That's it, Charlie. And get out. <laughs> What like a what a kind of bittersweet end to that to that to that to that great monologue. Like and I think like like that's that's like the fact that he's not been nominated for an Emmy, I think says more to the fact that this show has been critically panned, like and it is that thing of you should be able to pick out stuff that is still great within stuff that people on mass within the critical society aren't enjoying because Matthew, yeah, good. We said, yeah, it's, we said it before. Like, he is so good in it. Like, I don't... I kind of understand, like we said before, I kind of understand why it's not getting the big plaudits and stuff and in people's lists of best films, their best shows of the year and things so far. But I think that's because maybe people's expectations are different. They're misunderstanding... What the not misunderstanding that's not passwords people, but misunderstanding like what the vibe of the show is, and Matthew Good's performance is big, but he has these fucking great moments, and his performance is great. Mm. Yeah. I just think, yeah, I think it, it's clearly like we said a million times. It's not the most subtle of shows, and that speech is the monologue is a. Fucking a lot, yeah. but it's great, and he delivers it great. And I was, yeah, I was on board with it. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, you, you tell him, Bob. Yeah, you know. And, and again, that, and, that that score's doing some subtle work as well. There, like the, yeah, yeah. Know, the fact it's just that kind of slow piano, and you kind of you get you get sucked into it, right? Yeah, I was fucking on board with it. I mean, even if they had all stood up and applauded him, I would have gone, yes, mate. Well, and that wouldn't surprise me in this kind of show, but it's great. I love the fact that it it more so like it's undercut with just Charlie yeah. saying like, "Is that it? We'll get out." But we see kind of immediately that um, it kind of has an effect on Charlie because he gets a phone call from Calhoun and uh, tells him this. Mr. Calhoun, I appreciate all the time that you've given us, especially at such short notice. I've um, given your office some serious thought and I'm uh, happy to say that my board and I have decided that you can go fuck yourself, you inbred, toothy motherfucker. What 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 a fucking takedown! 
you inbred toothy motherfucker. There's some absolutely great line deliveries in this episode. And in fairness, Charlie's behind a lot of them. He shines in his angriness. And one of the things I wanted to ask as well is obviously like there's a lot of phone calls in this show. Have you I'm not sure if you noticed that. Do you think some of that is in regards to this show being filmed during COVID? Oh, yeah, it didn't cross my mind. But, yeah, that would make sense because there is a lot of phone calls and there is a lot of conversations in rooms from a distance. <laughs> Do you mean there is desk conversations? So, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't think about it. But, yeah, that would make sense. But then, again, it, but then again, there's, like, scenes, there's a scene of Bob Evans at that party where there's people, like, draped all over each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it is a lot of phone conversations. A lot. Yeah, because this one rolls into straight into, like, getting off the phone and, like, uh, mm. Charlie's secretary is like, Francis Ford Coppola on the line. He's called, he's called twice already. And he twice. kind of... He calls to plead with uh, Charlie to keep the film, like keep the film going, and get Al Ruddy back on because the mob have like started to put barriers in the way. Whether it's like not <laughs> not moving a truck out of the way or like we've got um union problems. We've got union problems exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, and then leads on to again like. This really is an episode for Betty McCart to shine. Mm. And I kind of like this, that she kind of gets this, uh, she gets this conversation of all people. She has this great conversation with Mario Puzo. I can't believe you talked to Joe Colombo. Even I wouldn't talk to Joe Colombo. It's the craziest thing I ever heard. You're a little, little, little kooky in the head. <laughs> <laughs> My ex-husband would agree with you. <laughs> mm. You know, it's some loyalty you got for Ruddy. I didn't do it for him. I did it for me. I'm so sick of living a life that is determined by everyone else's choices. When I was a kid, all I ever had were hand-me-downs. Nothing I wore was my style or my choice. It all depended on what my siblings wanted or what they chose. And then I got married and moved into a house paid for by my husband. Yet another thing I didn't choose. I hate that feeling. Other people making choices for me because I don't have the power to make those choices myself. So I'm getting ready to drop back. Or I'm going to die trying. <laughs> and, yeah, what, do you, what did you think of that kind of exchange and Betty's Betty's kind of story she tells. Because obviously, um, I kind of listened back to it then. I was like, well, maybe she's contradicting herself here because she said earlier that she was doing it for Al. That's why she was at Joe Colombo's. And now she's saying, I did it for me. <laughs> yeah. Make your mind up, Betty. But yeah, no, I think, again, it, this is another thing that showed us really well. Every, everyone has their little interactions together. Like every, they they do it nicely, so everyone gets their little scenes together. And this is one I didn't see happening, but it's a lovely little scene. And it's Puzo gets his 
yeah, my, it's a nice little scene because you see that what <clears throat> what does come across about the Mario Puzo character is he is always eating all the time. He's a fucking nice guy. Yeah, you know, you do, you do. He's a they don't, him and Francis. I think that's a great thing that this show has done is they're lovable guys. They're nice guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They, because you've got enough tension going on elsewhere out of the gang. So why not have them just be, you know what I mean? They, they're just nice guys. They're just doing their thing. And I really like that about it. Yeah. And I, I really like this kind of whole section we get here of it kind of moving around the the kind of uh, the the setup for like the shots and that. And then we get, we get uh, Bob Evans finally turns up on set and corners uh, Al Ruddy, and they have a they have a great exchange that we haven't really seen them have before. And they they kind of yeah, it's, it's this right here. And I thought you were fired. I was, and I am. Why are you here? This movie's important to a lot of people I care about, so I thought I could help them out. So my backstabbing producer turns up to save a day, even though he can't save himself. Why in God's name did you do that press conference with Columbo? You were threatened. You asked me to deal with it, and that was my way of dealing with it. You are one crazy motherfucker, you know that? Takes one to know one. <laughs> we good, you and me? Always, booby. <laughs> I wish I could say the same about you, Blue Hole. I'm sorry. I like that we get the motif as well from the from the title sequence as well. That yeah. and it kind of like nice. melds into something, and then kind of rolls straight into Charlie getting out of the car. And this is one of those. This is one of those moments where I'm like, I can see people fucking hating this because this is on the nose as fuck, right? With him kind of coming uh. out of the car seeing them setting up and then like you even hear some of bob evans's speech like yeah that uh, <laughs> yeah that was a more like, oh yeah okay because again it it they are few and far between but there is some there there is some yeah there's there's duff moments that are a bit clunky and it's egregious this, right it's really like yeah, you're fucking you're going here yeah, completely unnecessary because we know what's going on. We, and then yeah, the fact that he's standing there looking at them set up, and yeah, you have the full. Um, this is what the people. This is what Paramount means. Coming from Bob Evans in his, and you think, fuck yeah, nah. Well, just when you think that as well, Bob Evans turns up as well, doesn't he? It's like, see, they were slides in from. Yeah, yeah, on the side, yeah, and you're like, Ugh. they were having problems, and then Al Ruddy came and saved the day. Like, he, he, yeah, he, 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 maybe you need to rehire him, Charlie. I think these, it's unfortunately, it is these little moments. It's not, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me because I'm, I'm fine with a few moments, and they, they are few and far between. But I think it is these moments that maybe coloured people's uh, critics' perception of it. Because I mean, fuck me, it's on the nose. Yes, you know, and I get it. Towards the end of an episode, especially, if, I would imagine if you were 
taking a critical view of it, and that was the bit that stuck in your mind, you would be like, yeah, this show can fuck off. But <laughs> not I I don't think that, because I enjoy it, and it, I'm taking it for what it is and having fun with it. But it is these little moments where you go, oh, that was a choice. Well, I think we would have got the same, like, Bern Gorman's performance like kind of tells us what we need to know without the voiceover. Well, that's what I mean. You absolutely didn't need that voiceover at all. Like it is so on the nose and so unsubtle. So yeah, him that just him just standing there looking would have been enough for me. And I'm sure it would be enough for most people to go, oh, I get what he I get it. He he does love Paramount and he does want this film to be great. Without <laughs> yeah, without the voiceover. I could have done without the voiceover. It's funny as well because, like, it's like Bob Evans slides out of like out of frame, and then Al Ruddy comes in from the other side, doesn't yeah. he, to like have a chat with Charlie? It de- yeah, it does slip into occasionally. This scene in particular, it almost slips into like a parody mode where you're like, <laughs> "Fucking yeah!" <laughs> but like, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't make the show uh, this. Uh, some critics have fucking mauled it. And I don't think it's necessary at all. It only has these moments now and again, and this just happens to be one of them. Yeah. But I mean, what, six episodes in, and we've had a couple, you go, oh. But, yeah, you know, I can live with it. I like this, because it's kind of like a nice little, like, tying of the bow on, like, all, all of the all of the plot threads like that kind of all converge on everyone's beef with Ruddy. So like we've got the kind of, uh, the, yeah, the him and him and Evans kind of bury the hatchet. He has as tense as it is with Charlie, like he, he rehires him, but kind of threatens him. Like I will fire you if you ever speak to the press ever again. <laughs> like oh he says he will kill him. Yeah. I will kill you and I mean it I will kill you and like oh I fucking know and then it moves straight on to Al Ruddy as well apologising to Betty McCart for like what arsehole he was that's what I mean this this episode feels like quite nice and contained in that way and um, well yeah then the episode like moves and like I think they're planting seeds because you get Caesar speaks to Ruddy as like Betty is um, asked by, it's like, Charlie's like, you meet me for a drink? And she's like, she kind of wanders off. Then sit like, Caesar's like, oh, what a gal that Betty is. What a gal. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, are we going to get like a, are we going to get a, a romance between those? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all. Like, yeah, I thought that because they're in the background talking, aren't they? And then, yeah. And then he wanders over to her and says, what a girl. And, I kind of hope not, because I don't want it. I don't want Betty to slip into like being having a being in the romance tension thing. I'd rather that character be doing what she's doing now. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy that because we don't need any more subplots and tension. Let's just this stuff is good. Yes, let's not have any more. And I I, I like the kind of look on Miles Teller's face when. Um... Obviously, he's a bit shocked at first, but when he realizes like what Betty's done for him by going to see Joe Colombo, when Caesar's like, yeah, oh, yeah, she she went to see Joe Colombo, and he's like, kind of like, oh, that's 
That's my gal. She's got my back, right? Like, she's... yeah, because initially he's like, she didn't what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a little smirk, and he's like, yeah, fucking fair play. Yeah, yeah. His, his face softens. Uh, what did you make of this scene of Charlie and Betty when they go for a drink, and like she kind of probes him about why he didn't sell Paramount, and he kind of like delivers delivers this weird analogy about dogs, right? <laughs> fucking weird. Don't, uh... Do you know why a dog shows its belly? And she says, like, tummy rubs? He goes, no, because it is being submissive. You should never show your belly. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? What is it he says? Then, it's like, you never want yeah. to be a bitch showing its yeah. belly. <laughs> never be a bitch showing your belly. And then, fucking, this is quite a random scene. It, it, and, Forty, the last, the last, like, five, ten minutes of this episode are a bit mental so then yeah so they're having a drink at the bar and then um <laughs> murray isn't it from the board murray, which I, I found murray from the board. like he's like I, I, I needed to see you immediately and he's just there at this random bar that they're at and ah uh, this happens a lot in this show as well where people just go i need to, no matter where they are they'll go Where's so and so? I need to see him, and they'll just arrive. There's no fucking telling them where they are because they've literally just gone for a drink somewhere, and it does happen quite a bit. Like they'll be in New York, LA, wherever, and you'll go get me him, and he's there within ten minutes. But so yeah, Murray turns up, and then we have this fucking wild one. Yeah, I I, I really should have pulled a clip for this, but it's it's Charlie I, fires him and then barks at him like a dog. Yeah, just just snarls and literally goes barks at him, like repeatedly barks at him. It's fucking weird. And Betty's like laughs and goes, huh. oh, and then because oh, and then Murray says, "You you crazy, um, you, oh. you crazy Austrian fuck." <laughs> I I like the thing as well because he said that like he didn't. He's not. He's not sentimental like he does, he's not mm. it's not personal for him about paramount it is kind of it does still all back but like uh boil down to money and then like <laughs> i like i like the kind of setup of that and then they kind of get like a nice little payoff joke where it's like that guy undermined my like that i could run i could run yeah, yeah, that yeah. I, could, I, I could run this so like sometimes i do take things personally <laughs> some maybe it was Personal, and then there's another. There's another great. Line. I mean, it's again, it's whatever. But Betty has a good line as well, and she goes, "Get me another. What is it? Get me another Scott, you crazy Austrian fuck." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. What do you think of like? So we talk about the kind of final final moments of this e- episode. What do you like? <laughs> Do you feel like they're riffing on a certain moment from The Godfather here? Um, With it, yeah, so we intercut now, don't we, between because um, this this final like couple of minutes we're intercutting between a couple of things, aren't we? We've got Caesar and the boys leave Caesar and the boys, Caesar and the lads. Um, getting their stuff together and getting in the car. We've got the bar, and then we've also got Joe and um, Al Ruddy going to Al Ruddy going to, going to a concert. Square 
Yeah, and yeah. who are they going to see? Who <laughs> well, are they going be? to see? Who? That's... They, yeah, but we have to know that in Madison Square Gardens because we have a title card and a, a overhead shot of Madison Square Gardens. But yeah, so they go to Madison and they go to see um, a big star of the time, someone who could sell out Madison Square Gardens. Thanks, boy. Frank Sinatra. And I, Frank's back. What did you think of the tension? Because there's like a kind of like, there's a bit of tension with Frank. Because we haven't seen him in a while, and the last time we saw nah. him. He was like really pissed off with Al Ruddy and like the making of The Godfather. What did you kind of, yeah, what did you make of? Because, yeah, that, that scene where Frank says, oh, I know you from somewhere and they have that exchange and there's, there's a clear tension where he, oh, you're the guy you get, got the script sorted. Frank knows who exactly who it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, he's just being. Frank Sinatra, a, a dick again. But, yeah, there's clearly a tension, and it just... It, this show is going to... It does go out of its way to let us know what an arse, like we said before, Frank Sinatra was. Because uh-huh. it, it's just a smarmy wank. Just don't like him. But, yeah, there's a, there's a tension. But this... And then we're cutting between, obviously, the boys going... Caesar, specifically... Manning up, stepping up. And doing a drive-by on Joe Gallo's hangout, right? This kind of gang of goons. Um, and then the, the episode kind of ends on this quote from Joe Colombo, because uh, Frank Sinatra says something in Italian, and Al Ruddy's like, well, what did he say? Loosely translates to uh, those that wish us harm can go fuck themselves. Knows <laughs> the wishes to go fuck themselves. <laughs> yes, fuck please. Themselves. But it, yeah, so it's that. But we do have one. If the final, final shot is full scale, crazy Joe eyes. I don't know what the. It's yeah. a wild face. My final note for this <laughs> episode is Joe Gallo ain't happy. Yeah, I've, my final note for this episode is end full-scale crazy Joe face. So, yeah, because he's got a, it's like a weird, really bulgy eyes and a half grimace, half grin. He's fucking crazy livid. So, yeah, that's how we end. Yeah, and it's it feels like it's riffing upon the end of The Godfather, right, with, like, the kind of intercutting between the baptism and the... Yeah, of course, yeah. And and the kind of shootout, like, to to nowhere near as much bon vivants as The Godfather does, because that is like a... That is a tour de force of filmmaking, right? That, that, that moment yeah, I, in The I, Godfather. I have to be honest. I didn't make that connection, but clearly now it is. Yeah, now you've said it, I can see it. Like you say, it's not as well done. Yeah. But yeah, I, it, it clearly is riffing on that because it's actually kind of kept the same than getting to the car, driving the car, arriving. So yeah, it's another callback. But no, when it, like, 
And it is, it, 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 they're obviously playing on dangerous territory because that is like one of the greatest scenes ever. I, I, it's about her. In, 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 yeah. In, 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 yeah, in film history. So, with episode six in the back, how are we feeling? How are we feeling, Will? Are we, we, we leaving the gun or are we taking the cannoli still? Yeah, nah, I'm still on board. I'm still, I'm still in. I mean, I think the, the, the lack of subtlety now is the stuff that I'm enjoying most. Amazing. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm just bought into it. I'm like, this is where we're at. I mean, again, we, uh, despite that little death note we had, I'm kind of like, this is where we're at. I'm fine with it. I'm fully on board for what's coming because, yeah, we're, we're, we are into the meat of it now. We're into the, we're into the good stuff. I mean, it's all been good, but we're into the, the making of the Godfather now. Um, Crazy Joe. Yeah, fucking, I'm on board. Amazing. So next week's episode, episode seven, is called Mr. Producer. Would you like to hazard a guess what that could be about? Who are they referring to as Mr. Producer, Will? Well, I'm assuming we're going to have more. Because Woody's back, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's still knocking about. Jack. So are we going to have a tension between those two? Maybe? I don't know. Well, let me read the IMDb synopsis from episode seven, which is, dissatisfied with the footage, Barry Lapidus plans a potential coup as Ruddy attempts to save Coppola and Pacino's jobs. Carlo Gambino questions Colombo's leadership as he holds another Italian-American Civil Rights League rally oh so so there's tension on set and there's tension with the mob it sounds like you're kind of right i think i think because as we know uh jack ballard is barry lapidus's man right he's his man mm-hmm. on the inside so he's yeah i think there's and i'm guessing from what i said like when it's ruddy attempts to save coppola and pacino's jobs I think we're going to finish that episode on the scene we talked about earlier. I think we're going to get the bathroom scene. I think yeah, the, I think so. I think the true life is so good that they're going to—they're just going to do that verbatim. I think we're going to have an episode of them butting heads, ready, Jack, uh, Jack, um, butting heads. There's going to be a lot of that, and we're going to finish next week's episode on the bathroom scene and like i said the cutaways and stuff to everyone going holy shit right well we'll have to tune in next week guys to find out um well this is this has been a pleasure as always um obviously yeah got uh if anyone's watching this at home if you're watching along with us don't hesitate to get in touch like I, I I know me and Will. Well, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Will yourself? Like absolutely loving it, mate. This is uh, yeah. loving it. So if you're right. if, if you're enjoying if you're enjoying these conversations, if you're enjoying the offer, even if you're not, don't hesitate to get in touch. Which you can do so on all the social media. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox, and TikTok. All at Caged In Pod. Or if you'd like to drop an email, keep it a bit on the on the hush hush are we doing a, a joe colombo backroom conversation 
then yeah, drop me an email, cagedinpod at gmail.com, where we can have a little chit chat about the offer. Um, it's nice that me and Will are having this conversation, but I'd love, I'd love for other people to join into the to the conversation. Let us know your thoughts on it. Let us know your gripes. Let us know the things you enjoy. Let us know if you, I don't know, if you're just listening to this without watching it. Why are you listening to it and not watching it? Like, are you thinking I don't want another subscription service? And I, I totally get that point. I, I I feel like I need to cull a couple at the moment. Um. But yeah, this um, this is a lot of fun, and um, I'm I'm already getting a bit a bit worried. We have got four episodes left, Will. I know, mate. And um, yeah, four episodes left. Uh, and uh, yeah, also wine recommendations. Yes. Well, we've we've had a bubbly week. What are we doing next week? So next week we are going to do, I reckon white wine inspired by uh bob evans's love for the white stuff we're going to do white white wine week next week nice. so if you're drinking along with us next week is white wine and you you should be able to finish your bottle in the space of the episode because that is what me and will do so yeah. if you're not if you're not necking if you're not drinking a whole bottle of wine whilst listening to this episode you're doing it wrong <laughs> so as always I have been Petrus Patsilavus I've been Will Chich we've been making you an offer that you can't refuse join us next week as we meet Mr Producer and have another look at the offer until then leave the gun take the cannoli and we'll catch you next time the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.